starting at verse 1. The passage reads, Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another. This is talking about Jesus. It says he was preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit. A hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So Jesus said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root, receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. This is the word of God. And so we give him thanks for it. Y'all can be seated. And I want to go before the Lord once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. We give you thanks for the sufficiency of it, for life and godliness. We give you thanks because you've given it in a way that makes us wise unto salvation. We give you thanks that once we've been made wise unto salvation, we're then made wise in the process of sanctification. And so, Lord, I do pray and ask that as your word is proclaimed this morning, that all of these things will take place. If there be anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, would you make them wise unto salvation? If there be anyone here, or because I know that there are many here, all of us who would consider ourselves followers of you need more wisdom in this process of sanctification. Lord, I do pray and ask that you would make us wise. Give us a greater sense of, of, of wisdom that uh, 
surpasses our minds and, and seeps into our hearts and then is displayed through what we do with our hands and our feet. We don't want to be a people that just comprehend your word. We want to be a people that live it. And so God, we pray that you help us toward this end this morning. Convict us where conviction is necessary. Encourage us where encouragement can be given. Teach us by the power of your spirit what you call us to in this passage and how we can leave this place going to have lives that embody what you teach here. Lord, I pray for myself as I attempt to proclaim your word this morning. I need your assistance, Father. Uh, I'm imperfect. I'm sinful. I'm still seeking wisdom from you for sanctification myself. And I stand in an attempt to communicate on your behalf, you who are a perfect, sinless God, to your people about how it is that we all can be sanctified through what we do with your word. So I pray for your help. I pray for your assistance. Father, I pray that you give strength and energy and zeal. I pray that you even supernaturally make up for uh, strength and zeal that may have been lost this week with sickness. God, do with my body, with my mind, with my words, what I could never do myself. We recognize that this is a sacred hour where you supernaturally inform us and give us insight into how you have us to live through the proclamation of your word. And so our hearts are ready and receptive. We pray that you would do what only you can. Fill our hearts, pierce our hearts with greater wisdom, greater insight of your character, your nature, your love for us in Christ and how it is that we are supposed to respond to all of these things. I need your help. I know that you're faithful to give it when your people ask. And so I anticipate the receipt of it now. It's for the glory of your name, by the empowerment of your spirit, and in the name of your son that I pray. Amen. Uh, So here at Pioneer Church, uh, we are committed to uh, what is known as expositional preaching. Uh, This means that most of, if not all of Uh, The preaching that's done here will be within a series that takes a book of the Bible and goes through it in the sequential order that it it appears in Scripture. And so as of now, we're studying the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We started with the beginning of chapter one back in the fall, and we are now beginning chapter eight. Uh, And the reason we here are committed to expositional preaching is because studying God's word in this way uh, helps us to learn God's word holistically and and, uh, to view it as one divinely inspired book that all fits together to point to Christ and his glory, as opposed to us taking bits and pieces from different places and having a scattered understanding of God's word. So I could go on and on about uh, what expositional preaching is, but at the end of the day, doing this kind of study gives us a more full picture of God's nature and his character, and, and it shows us, according to how he has revealed himself in his word, how it is that we are to respond to him in light of who he is. Uh, so like I said, we're currently in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've been studying this book uh, since last fall. And when we finished chapter 7 last week, we saw Jesus grant forgiveness to a sinful woman who was so overwhelmingly thankful for his forgiveness that she wept at his feet and she cleansed his feet with her tears and she anointed his feet with some expensive perfume. And in doing that, the woman modeled for us how we should approach Jesus with this great uh, self-forgetting, self-denying, humble, 
reverence and gratitude in light of the forgiveness that we all receive in him. And at the start of this morning's passage, we have more women who are giving us another good model to follow. The passage tells us that Jesus is out and he's traveling from village to village. Uh, He's doing his, his preaching and his teaching thing, but he's not alone. He has with him the 12 who had, he had chosen to be apostles back in chapter five. We know that these are men that God uh, chose and, and, and set aside to receive special, unique training from Jesus so that they could then take his good message, his good news message of the gospel and continue to preach it for him once he was back in heaven. But along with these men, Luke tells us that there's also this group of women with Jesus. And Luke gives us a bit of explanation about the women. And with this explanation, we see that they, like the woman from last week, model what it looks like to have quality relationship with Christ. It may even be the case that that woman from last week could be among this group. The passage tells us that they've all been healed of various sicknesses and evil spirits. And as a result, they're now traveling with Jesus. I've said several times throughout our study of Luke's gospel that I love how Luke does this. He writes his gospel with this uh, unique intent to highlight uh, marginalized outsiders and and apparent lowlifes and extreme sinners and women. And so something he does every now and then is he kind of settles down and zooms the camera lens in to focus on certain characters who fit these descriptions in an effort to highlight how important they are to the narrative. And here Luke zooms in on these women and he shows us that uh, Mary Magdalene, is a woman who has much reason for devotion to Jesus because she's been freed of seven demons. It's obvious why she'd have much reason to be devoted to Christ. Then there's also Joanna, who's the wife of Herod's secretary. There's a woman named Susanna, and there's many others, as Luke writes for us. And he mentions these women because they all, for one reason or another, have merit to follow Christ and to be involved in his ministry. And in showing us this, Luke provides us with one of the most prominent, repeated, most important lessons that the Bible holds out for us. It's the same lesson that we saw from last week's sermon. It's that when we've had a right encounter with God, when we truly had a right encounter with God, it changes us and it causes us to have devoted lives to God. Look at the text. The text says that these women are out traveling with Jesus as he teaches from town to town. And it says that they're supporting him from their possessions. So they've responded to him with devotion and assistance and service. As he ministers through his teaching ministry, they minister by serving alongside him. But we also want to make sure we don't ignore this other part about how they respond with support of Jesus' ministry. Luke writes for us that uh, they're supporting him from their possessions. And so in essence, this is them tithing. (laughs) This shows us that tithing isn't some new age thing that has just come about in the recent past, but it has always been the, the practice for the people of God to take the possessions he gives in order to invest in the ministry of God. And I think we're okay in this area as a church. This isn't going to be one of those sermons where I come in and just kind of beat people over the head and ask for money. I hope to never do that as a pastor. Like, I think we are faithfully tithing as a church, but I don't even pay attention to our tithing reports as long as we're in a good financial position as a church. But anytime we see a good model of sacrificial giving in God's words, like in God's word like this, I do want to issue a fresh challenge and encouragement to us all. And the challenge is this. Be sacrificially invested in the ministry of our Lord. Sacrificially invest 
in the ministry of God. We see these women doing it here. And so we should seek to follow their model, not just with our, our time, not just with our talents, but also with the treasures that God gives us. Our Lord himself teaches in Matthew 6, 21, that where someone's treasure is, there their heart will be also. And so we want to strive to be a people who seek to invest our treasure into the Lord's work so that our hearts will be staked there as well. And I know that a large percentage of our church body is, is, is made up of, of young people. And so you may be sitting there and saying to yourself, I'm just getting started in life. Uh, I don't even have a job yet. I'm still in college. So I, I don't come with a whole lot of treasure to invest in the Lord's work. Well, in response to that, I just, just want to point out that neither did those who, many of those who were mentioned in Scripture for being people who invested in the Lord's work. You got the widow from Mark chapter 12, and she's noted for giving a very small amount. And then these women here who we're reading about, because they're women in a patriarchal society, they likely didn't have much to give either, but they gave from what they had. And again, we should seek to follow the model that they provide in their commitments to Jesus with service and general devotion of life. But unless we're truly incapable, friends, we should also seek to follow this model of commitment by sacrificially investing materially into the Lord's work. And so I'm done with that. Luke includes this in his narrative, likely to provide us with a good model of, of servitude to Christ by these women. Uh, but it may also be his intent to simply give us another reminder that women, too, were significant in the life and ministry of Jesus. We've thought about this a few times throughout Luke's gospel. And here we've got a great opportunity to consider it again. Women, too, were significant in the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, Luke already mentioned the significant roles of, of, of Mary and Elizabeth back in the beginning chapters. And we saw in chapter two that Anna, the prophetess, played a significant role in, in telling us about the forthcoming ministry of Christ. Uh, we know that Jesus has healed and delivered many women since his ministry began. And we'll even see in later chapters that women are consistently along the way with support and, 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 and service and involvement in the ministry of Christ, all the way up to being named at his crucifixion and when it's discovered that he had rose from the dead. And so Luke repeatedly shows us how women are involved, and he does it to make the point that I want our sisters in the room to hear me echo this morning. Women are just as valuable and just as important to the Lord as men. And they are just as necessary for the fulfillment of God's mission as men are. There are different specific roles that men and women play in the mission, but they are not any different in value or level of importance. God calls and equips both men and women for kingdom work, and this has always been the case. And so I praise God that here at Pioneer Church, we have many sisters who are actively involved in the ministry and flourishing of Pioneer. And I trust that Christ was grateful for these faithful sisters who served alongside him here as well. But the text tells us, that they're serving alongside him as he traveled and continued in his preaching and teaching ministry. And it says that as they continue to, to minister together in this way, a crowd starts to gather. This was a normal occurrence at this point. Crowds often form to hear Jesus' teaching. But as the crowd forms this time, we read that Jesus speaks to those who are with him by telling a parable. He says, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. 
The thorns grew up with it and choked it, but still other seed fell on good ground. And when this seed grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And as he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. And I will we'll eventually unpack this whole parable. But that final statement by Christ is one that we should seriously lean into here. He says that anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So the question I want to pitch to us this, this morning is, have you heard? Or if we can turn, turn it around and, and, and make it more introspective of a question. Have I heard? Have you heard? Lauren and I tried our hand at multi-day babysitting for the first time a few years back. This was before we were even parents ourselves. And so we had my cousins come visit us for a few days. Uh, they were like six and seven at the time. And because we didn't have kids of our own yet, you know, we, 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 there's a lot we didn't understand about kids and, and how they act and, and, and how you should act when they're around and, and so on and so forth. And so we're sitting down and we're eating dinner with them one evening, just kind of going along in typical conversation. And this is one of those things that we were learning during the week. Like, how is it that you converse with children when you sit down at the dinner table for them? Like, what are the things that they enjoy to talk about? And Lauren learned a pretty valuable lesson about conversation with children. Because somewhere along the line, as we were talking to them, uh, she decided to use the word presumptuous. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with using this word. It's a word that Lauren probably uses this regularly. Except when you're talking with kids. See, it might not be a word to just pull out and assume that children will understand. Sorry, babe, I didn't even ask you before I came here with this illustration, but I hope you don't mind. Oh, we can talk when we get home if you do. <laughs> um, but Lauren uses this word presumptuous, and, and uh, she kind of assumes that the kids will understand what it is she's saying. And the conversation carries on. Nobody says a whole lot about the word. Nobody's thought much of it. But the oldest of my two cousins, I, I could look at her face and tell that she hadn't quite moved on yet. She seemed to have her thoughts kind of locked in on something from the moment that Lauren said that word. She's kind of pondering and, and thinking, not really engaged in the conversation anymore. And then she eventually looks up, and with a great sincerity and innocence, she asks Lauren, Lauren, do you speak Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the word presumptuous was so unclear to my cousin that she assumed the word must be from a different language. And now her asking this question was innocent, uh, and it was cute, and obviously it was also comical. But it also presents a valuable lesson for us to learn. The lesson is that even though someone hears, unless their ears are conditioned to hear rightly, they can be spoken to in their own native language but it seems as if they're hearing a foreign language instead. See, the key is to have ears that not only hear, but ears that are conditioned for correct hearing. And I think this is a summary of what Jesus teaches the disciples in this parable. So as we look at it, we need to be asking ourselves two questions. First, again, have I heard? Have we heard? And then secondly, have we heard correctly? Have we heard and have we heard Correctly, we'll consider what correct hearing is in a moment. But first, let's just look at the necessity for hearing. Why is it important that we make sure we hear in the first place? 
We see in the passage that Jesus is teaching his disciples through this parable. And then it says he called out for anyone with ears to hear, to listen. So he was already in the midst of teaching. And then this calling out of his seems to kind of level up what he was saying. Like, like, hey, if you've got ears to hear, make sure you're hearing. Make sure you're listening. And so it's evidently important that we need to hear, beloved. But why is this the case? Well, I think it's because the hearing that Jesus is talking about is directly associated with two things. It's associated with the kingdom of God and it's associated with fruitful, productive living. We see back in verse one that Luke tells us Jesus is preaching and teaching about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then down in verse nine, Jesus refers to the parables as the secrets of the kingdom of God. And now those are definitely secrets and spills of good news that we want to hear because the kingdom of God is a phrase that refers to the eternal kingdom that God has established by sending Jesus to save people and make them kingdom citizens in his kingdom, heavenly kingdom with him for all of eternity. So this isn't something we want to miss out on, friends. We want to make sure we hear of this news and the secrets that are related to the kingdom of God. And we also want to make sure we hear because hearing affects our lives even now as we await the unveiling of that eternal kingdom. Jesus says in verse eight that the seed which falls on good ground produces fruit a hundred times what was sown. You know, everybody wants to know what it takes to, to live a fruitful and productive and, and meaningful life. Like if you go and look up what genre of books have the top sales, I'd be willing to bet you that it's the genre of, of, of self-help and, and motivation and life coaching or whatever it is they're calling the genre nowadays. And this is because everybody wants to know how to live a life of meaning and production. And I'm not knocking those books on the bestseller list. But what I am saying is that those books mean nothing if we don't first start with the book that's in front of us. Jesus is saying to, 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 that the key to fruitful, productive living is to receive God's word like good soil receives scattered seed. We're going to see more about that in a minute. But he also makes the point that when it comes to the word of God, the teachings about God's kingdom, we need to hear, to be hearing, to listen, to be listening. And so again, I ask friends, have you heard? It's a pretty straightforward question to ask ourselves, right? When it comes to the lessons about the kingdom of God, is that what your ears perk up for? When it comes to teaching about what God desires of your life, is that what you lean in to listen to? When it comes to biblical truth that informs and instructs all of life, is that what your ears are conditioned to hear? Or does it seem like a foreign language to you? It is ultra important, friends that we hear and receive God's word when it's sown, like good soil receiving seed that is scattered. And Jesus' disciples seem to want to hear and receive when he's teaching in this very moment we're reading about. And so they ask him a question to gain greater clarity about what he's saying. Verse 9, then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest, it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So the disciples asked Jesus 
about the specific parable that he just told them. And before answering, he explains his general reason for using parables at all. Jesus basically says to his disciples that his parables and the wisdom that, get, that, that his parables give is wisdom that points to the gospel of salvation and the kingdom of God that one is saved into. But only some will understand these parables because they require a spiritual understanding that only the Holy Spirit can give. And so Jesus provides the foundation for what the Apostle Paul later reinforced in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 1 and 2 when he wrote stuff like uh, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Or when he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And then later on in chapter two of 1 Corinthians, he says, now God has revealed these things to us by the spirit, since the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So as we can see, friends, there's this biblical refrain uh, that spiritual wisdom from the Lord can't be attained through human efforts alone. We need God's help to gain spiritual wisdom. We need God's spirit to help us gain spiritual wisdom. And I know that the initial reading of this can make it seem as if Jesus or Paul are being harsh and inconsiderate. I mean, there's an exclusivity to it, right? Like Jesus says here, you will understand these, but the rest will not. That carries this connotation of a kind of outsider versus insider dynamic. And Jesus even says that these parables are given so that the outsiders may not see when they look and may not understand when they hear. So what is Jesus getting at with this? I'll tell you up front, beloved. This is one of those difficult, complex truths of the Bible that we may not ever fully understand on this side of heaven, but that we also can't ignore when we read God's word. When Jesus makes this statement, he's quoting the Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. Turn there in your Bibles with me, if you would. I want us all to to look at this together as we consider what Jesus is teaching with his reference to Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, if you've got a leather pew Bible, it's on page 385. If you've got one of the hardback pew Bibles, it's on page 605. Isaiah chapter 6, we want to look at verses 9 through 10, because these are the verses that Jesus references. I read, I still hear pages flipping, so I'm going to give people a minute to get there. Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 9, it says, And he replied, this is God replying to the prophet Isaiah, Go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Now, the context of these verses from Isaiah is a conversation between God and Isaiah as God raises up Isaiah to prophesy against the nation of Judah for their rebellion against God. And these verses alongside verse 10 of Luke chapter 8 seem to depict God sending his word forward 
for the purpose of some people's hearts being hardened with an improper response to God. I mean, Jesus says, so that seeing they won't perceive and hearing they won't understand. God says to Isaiah, go say to the people, listen, but don't understand. Look, but don't perceive. Have dull minds, deaf ears, blind eyes. Don't turn back for healing. That's what God's word says. And so it confronts us with a really difficult, discomforting question. Man, is it the case that God purposely sends his word forward so that some will believe and others won't? Like, does God do that on purpose? And here's the hard truth, friends. It does seem to be the case that God does that. The Christian faith, according to God's word, as it lays out teaching for us, it does seem to be exclusive to those who are here and have spiritual wisdom be given by the Holy Spirit. But here's a few things that we have to remember when considering this hard truth. First, as a bit of a disclaimer up front, I've said it, but I want to repeat it. God's wisdom and insight is not a wisdom and insight that we will ever have in full. So this truth is hard for us to understand because it's a truth that is rooted in a higher level of wisdom than we can have to make it easy truth. We kind of just need to, 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 to put that on the forefront. God is God. We are man. And there is truth that is exclusive to the Lord that we won't ever fully attain. The next thing for us to consider, the exclusiveness of this wisdom being given seems to have something to do with God's judgment. In Isaiah, God tells Isaiah to prophesy harshly and to preach toward the end of some not responding rightly because the people were being judged for their sinfulness against God. And then here in Luke, Jesus is, is watching this crowd of people form around him, and he knows that not everybody there is among those who are coming with repentance. So there's judgment for those who don't. This is a reality in the system of, 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 of morality that God has established in the world. Sin and evil calls for judgment, and the means that God uses to judge is the preaching of his word to distinguish between those who will respond to it with repentance and faith and those who will not. A third thing to remember is that the gospel is for those who will listen and respond rightly. The very fact that God tells Isaiah to go and preach the word and that Jesus comes doing the same by giving and explaining these parables as secrets into the kingdom of God, that tells us that God does desire for those who were here and respond to his word to have the opportunity to do so. Like I can almost guarantee us that, that no one has, has ever been denied this spiritual wisdom if they had sincere desire to receive it. We see with examples like uh, the the Ethiopian eunuch and, and, and Cornelius in the book of Acts that when there's genuine seeking and yearning for God and his truth, God tends to send messengers as a provision of spiritual wisdom. Like those who God denies wisdom and understanding are also those who would deny wisdom and understanding themselves because this is true of all of us apart from the divine mercy that God shows by softening some of our hearts. So difficult truth. Difficult, complex truth from God's word. And what is it that we do with this difficult truth? Two things. The first thing we do is that we go. (laughs) That's what God told Isaiah to do. That's what Christ is doing as we read about him in this passage. They're they're going, and it's, it's the same thing that we need to do as we see God's word in this way. We need to go. 
We need to take this truth that God has changed us by and evangelistically go with it because while not all will be changed by it, some will be changed by it and we just might be the agent of change that God uses to change them. So we go and we share and we, we, we take God's truth and we seek to make it known in the world. Like this difficult truth that we're presented with in God's word, friends, it doesn't present us with hindrance in ministry. It presents us with opportunity. If there's a problem with Calvinistic theology, for those of us who even know what that means, the problem isn't that God only chooses some. The problem is that the chosen some aren't always compelled by their being chosen to then go share with others and be used by God and him choosing more. So the thing for us first to do with this difficult truth is to take it, rejoice that we have insight and understanding into it, and then to go. And the second thing we do is we make sure that we are among those who respond the right way. Or to phrase it in light of the second question we're asking ourselves this morning, we make sure that we have heard correctly, that we're among the group who is hearing correctly. Uh, After making this point that only some will understand this teaching, uh, Jesus then explained the parable to his, his disciples, and the parable itself shows us what it looks like for some to understand and hear correctly. So let's look at verses 11 through 15 and ask ourselves, have we heard correctly? Not just have we heard, but have we heard correctly? Back in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 11, it says, Jesus begins explaining the parable further here, and, and he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the ground... In the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. Now, each of these scenarios, as Jesus explains for us, they paint a picture. And he also makes clear that each scenario has a different outcome. I want us to notice that the scenarios seem to be listed in a kind of, of lesser to greater, worse to best kind of order. There's the first uh, seed on the path that, that never takes root because the devil comes and he takes it away. And then there's the seed on the rock that seems uh, to take root, but uh, it falls away as soon as a time of testing comes. Then there's the seed with thorns. It's also rooted but unable to produce mature fruit because of worldly influence. And then finally, there is the good scenario of mature fruit being produced because of it being rooted in good ground. And now this lesser to greater order shows us that the scattering of seed is a good thing that's always going to happen. Seed will be scattered. God's word will go forth. But there's the single greatest outcome that we should all hope to see in our own lives. And that is the outcome of us bearing mature fruit from hearing and receiving God's word as good soil. And the way we ensure that we do this, friends, is by living lives that resemble what verse 15 describes for us. But the good seed or the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, 
hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. So as God's word is scattered, even as you sit there now listening to the preaching of it, can you be one who can, uh, can you be considered one who hears in this way? Are you hearing correctly? Is your heart honest and good and, and soft and receptive and a storehouse for what you hear from God's word? Do you hold on to it and endure with it to produce fruit? By the way, we should also note that this is the difference between those of good ground and those of the other three scenarios. The difference is endurance. Verse 13 even mentions that those who are like the rock hear and believe for a while, but then their seed falls away like the other bad scenarios. That isn't suggesting that someone with true belief lost their belief in salvation. This is to say that there are two kinds of belief we'll see in this life. There's the one which is genuine and true and everlasting and enduring, and there's the other which is shallow and based upon temporal convenience and happiness and isn't actually true belief at all. So have you heard correctly? Do you have true belief? Would your belief endure the trials that we see mentioned among those with the incorrect kind of hearing? When the devil comes and, and Satan himself is tempting you to lay down what you've received from God's word, can you gird up with the full armor of God and stand firm against the devil's schemes like Ephesians 6 calls us to? When there's a difficult time of testing or trial, can you count it all joy and depend on God to see the trial through for the process of maturation? When you've received God's word, yet life tells you that other things would be more pleasurable, Will you keep God's word and endure, or will you lay it aside and pursue those lesser earthly pleasures? Have you heard correctly? And will you endure with God's word, bearing fruit as evidence of your correct hearing? And how is it that you know if you're hearing correctly and bearing fruit and having enduring belief? Well, Jesus being the good, faithful teacher that he is, he tells us how we know with another parable in verses 16 through 18. Uh, this takes us to the final question I want us to consider this morning. We've asked ourselves if, we, if we've heard at all. We've asked ourselves if we heard correctly, and now I want us to ask ourselves if we can prove it. So have you heard? Have you heard correctly? And finally, can you prove it? Can you prove it? In verses 16 through 18, Jesus shares another parable about a lamp and what someone is supposed to do with it. He says, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care how you listen for whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. And so Jesus makes the point in this parable that the bearing of fruit isn't some optional thing that might happen in a Christian's life. When you've heard God's word, friends, and, 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 and you're illuminated as a lamp which shines with the new life that God's word brings, you don't put that lamp in a place where nobody will see it, but you instead put it on a stand for everyone to see, not because you want to be noticed as a lamp yourself, but because you know that your light points to the one who gives you illumination, and because this isn't a light that can be hidden anyways. When God's people are truly made new, the newness cannot be hidden. And this is why nominal Christianity doesn't really make any sense to me. 
Like you meet people who, who, who live like heathens and look no differently than the world, but then you ask them about their relationship with Christ and they tell you that they've known him for decades, that they've been following him for decades. It's like, I mean, I hear you, like praise the Lord that you've had exposure and you think you're following him, but where is the decades worth of light in your life? Why isn't your light shining? When you truly know Jesus and you know that his holy life has been shared with you through him being killed on a cross and then rising from the grave as atonement for your unholy life, you may not live perfectly, but there's an evident striving to grow and displaying the holiness that Jesus has shared with you. Jesus says you don't put a lamp in a basket or on a bed, you put it on a lampstand. And by doing so, you prove that you've heard and received God's word correctly. Therefore, Take care how you listen, he says, because if you actually put into practice the wisdom you do have, God will give you more. But if you fail to practice the wisdom you think you have, that wisdom will fade and be taken from you and provide a counterproof that the wisdom you thought was there wasn't actually true wisdom at all because you never actually truly received God's word correctly. So again, this morning, friends, have you heard? Have you heard correctly? Can you prove it? As Jesus is teaching, verses 19 through 21 tell us that his mother and brothers came to him and they wanted to meet him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. And when he's told that they want to see him, he makes a startling statement. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. And so I'm just going to close with this simple explanation and challenge. This isn't Jesus dismissing his earthly family in a legitimate sense. This is him speaking provocatively so that we would understand that he considers those who hear and do the word of God to actually be his family. And what a great joy that is for us, friends, if we hear and do the word of God. So let's be sure we hear. Let's be sure we hear correctly. And let's be sure we're living lives that prove it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And for the fact that you're gracious to give opportunity to hear it. For the fact that you're gracious to soften some of our hearts so that we might hear it correctly. And for the fact that you're gracious and then empowering us and filling us with your spirit so that we can live in light of what we've heard and give proof of our having heard correctly. Lord, I pray that this would be the case in the lives of your people here at Pioneer Church all the more. I pray that you would use us and your church at large to make this the case in many more people's lives. But we rejoice that you are still saving that when your word goes forward, there will be some who believe and respond rightly. And so I pray that you make us bold in being tools that you use to send your word forth for your glory, for our good, for the building up and expansion of your church. Use us in this way and teach us how to hear and respond to your word in the right ways. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.